Hope you're doing well this morning. Glad that you're here. If you are a uh, first-time guest, or maybe if I uh, don't know you, my name's Todd. I'm the pastor here, and uh, we're just glad that uh, you are here to worship with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can take them out, and you can turn to Matthew 4, although we will be in several different passages this morning. If you were to just look around and, and be aware uh, of what... Uh, what has happened in humanity uh, over the past, of, past uh, decades and, and even the past century, uh, you'd figure out very quickly that humanity has a difficult time with the battleground of reality versus fiction. And we're in this series called Battleground, and we're discovering three specific different battlegrounds um, that we all as humans uh, struggle with. And there are battlegrounds that we, uh, we have a, a difficult time fighting to protect. And largely these are spiritual in nature. But this, there is this one, reality versus fantasy, that's particularly destructive. I want you to capture this. Destructive specifically uh, and especially in the, in the home. Uh, the, the fight between reality versus fantasy in our culture uh, is a very difficult fight. And if you were to look around, you, you, you'd notice that we really struggle with this whole idea. Think with me for a moment about uh, reality TV. Uh, I'm not a big reality TV guy, um, uh, but uh, reality TV has been a craze that's gone on for more than a decade now. And, and there are some shows that are you know, interesting, and there are some that are just absurd. But reality TV is really interesting, isn't it? Because what happens is, is we watch real life take place in the life of someone else, and all the while, the whole time we're watching this, we're laughing, we're snickering, we're crying, we're getting caught up in the emotion of someone else's life, and all that time, all during that time, what are we doing to ourselves? We're ignoring the life that's going on around us, aren't we? We get so caught up into what's going on on TV in the real life or the supposed real life of someone uh, uh, on a reality TV program that we have lost ourselves in that fantasy. I think it ought to be called fantasy TV rather than reality TV. And so we see just through TV that we struggle as humans with this whole idea of fantasy versus reality. There's, there's another way that we escape reality, and it's through Facebook, isn't it? Now, I, I'm not down on Facebook. I have a Facebook page. Cynthia has a Facebook page. The church has a Facebook page. I think there's a lot of value that can come from this. I've connected with uh, friends from decades ago that I kind of lost uh, contact with uh, through Facebook. It's a great way to share uh, a message, a positive message, and I think there are good things. But, you know, um, Facebook can be something that's incredibly obsessive, and we can get so caught up, once again, in the life of someone else, maybe even trying to escape our own life, that we create this false world called Facebook. Uh, my staff and myself uh, uh, were talking about this this week, and so we came up with five questions, top five questions, to ask yourself to determine if your Facebook page is reality or fantasy. Okay, here we go. See if you fit into any of these categories, all right? Number one, was Photoshop used for any of your personal profiles on Facebook? 
Don't raise your hand. Okay. All right. So that's the first question. Was Photoshop used for any of your personal profiles on those pictures in Facebook? If so, you have a reality versus fantasy problem. Okay. The second question is, is was your current profile picture taken within the last decade? You know, my eight-year-old talks about the 1900s, which is the century that I was born in, like it's the 1800s. And so, you know, if 1900 and something is the year that the picture was taken for your Facebook profile, you have a reality problem. Okay, all right. Number three, do you have more posts about Farmville and other games than you do about your actual life? Some of you didn't understand that at all. I don't really either. But anyway, we had that question. Do you tend to, number four, do you tend to post more about God on Facebook than you talk about him in real life to others? Ooh, ah, that one hurt, didn't it? Do you tend to talk about God more on Facebook than you do in real life? Ah, you might have a fantasy problem there. Number five, do you secretly wish that all your interaction with your immediate family could be done through Facebook? <laughs> Oh, I love that one. Let's have a Facebook Thanksgiving. Okay, let's do that this year. <laughs> we, we create, some of you will be talking about that at lunch, and it probably won't be a good conversation. We, we create worlds around us that are false, don't we? We create something that really doesn't exist so that we can escape reality. Think about just uh, some different media things. First of all, uh, fantasy novels. You know, Harry Potter, the Twilight series, and even, even the repopularization, I'm going to get in trouble here with my wife, of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And while there's not anything intrinsically wrong, and some of those actually have good messages, for some people, if you've ever been to the movie theater when some of those movies end up coming out, for some people it is fantasy, isn't it? And their reality becomes fantasy. Do you see how the lines between reality and fantasies can so easily get blurred. That is one genre of novels. There's another genre that's not so innocent, the romance novel fantasy. Get this, nearly 1.5 billion, billion dollars per year is spent in this industry. The publishers blatantly target women who, sorry ladies, you make up 91% of that market. And you can get that fantasy for, what, $6.99 at the checkout counter at any grocery store, right? It's easy access, that kind of fantasy. Making matters a lot worse, that same genre and the same publishers are targeting younger and younger and younger girls with something that is absolutely not real and leads them to believe that it can be real when it never will be real. Men, we're not immune to this at all. The pornography industry has targeted men for years, really since the inception of all forms of media. But I want you to capture this. It, is, it has exponentially become uh, more accessible to families since the inception of the Internet. 12% of total websites, I want you to capture that. Think about that for a minute. 12% of all the websites in the world contain some form of pornography. And men, women, and unfortunately, teenagers are being drawn into it, and it is becoming an absolute addiction for millions of Americans. That industry is tearing up our families. All because we don't have our feet and our minds and our spirits and our emotions firmly planted 
in reality. Teens are a target of fantasy world. We've already talked about some of the romance novels. Xbox and other gaming devices can capture hours and hours and sometimes days on end. There was one 12-year-old boy who admitted to an addiction website that he spent 8 to 12 hours a day every day on one particular game. Fantasy can be addicting. Texting or even sexting can be a fantasy for teenagers, and they can become so obsessed with texting that when their phone is taken away from them, they don't know how to communicate to people in real life. Am I right? We buy in and we get captured by fantasy. Webster defines fantasy this way. The activity of imagining things that are impossible or improbable, and the line between reality and fantasy gets blurred so incredibly easily. We are captured by that which we can't imagine happening in real life, and we want to be a part of that. But I want you to hear this. We are not alone. We're not alone in this. When Satan attempted to to, uh, have Jesus fall, when Satan confronted Jesus in Matthew 4 and wanted to tempt him and wanted Jesus to sin, Satan was doing exactly what the romance novel industry and the pornography uh, industry does and the gaming industry does for us. He was trying to create a better world for Jesus. Can you imagine? That's exactly what we see in Matthew 4. Satan himself is trying to create a better world by offering him something that at the time he didn't have. Take a look at Matthew 4. And as I read this, I want you to notice how Satan is trying to create a better world, which is exactly what fantasy does with us. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is kind of our, our, our centerpiece passage for this series as we see this spiritual war actually going on in real life. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command the angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against stone or the ground. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, and it is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and he said, All of this I'll give to you if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Do you see how Satan is trying to create, even for Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, he's trying to create an other world or a false world. He told them if you would turn those stones to bread, which we know that Jesus could have done, right? Because he was all man, but he was also all God. But if he had done that, he would have been able to, he would have been sucked in to to thinking that uh, he could turn what he needed as a man physically into something that never existed. He would have never had a need. He would have never had hunger if he decided to turn those stones into bread, as Satan suggested. He would have been esteemed by every living creature and even those that are divine creatures if Satan could have had his way. He could have been the possessor of everything that he saw if he had bought in and worshipped Satan. But Jesus realized that heaven is not meant to be experienced while here on earth. 
And that's a very strong and important statement for our message this morning. You see, what we try to do and what we get captured by when it comes to fantasy is we get captured by those things that we want that creates for us heaven. We want heaven now. We want perfection now. We want comfort today. We want our hunger to be filled with the best of the food right now. And so we create heaven or we buy into that we can have heaven while here on earth. And Jesus realized that that is not possible. Satan tempted Jesus with the same thing that he tempted Adam and Eve with. You can turn to Genesis 3 if you have your Bibles or it's going to be up on the screen. And these two passages are so closely tied together because Satan does the same exact thing to Adam and Eve and they fall for it. They absolutely fall for it. Take a look at this, Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. I want you to catch that. Satan, this one that we're fighting in all these battles we're taking a look at, whether it's truth versus fiction, whether it's reality versus fantasy, or next week we'll talk about good versus evil, Satan is crafty. He was more craftier than any of the wild animals that God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman, Eve, said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not even touch it or you will die. Verse 4, You will not certainly die, Satan said, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. He was right about that, by the way. They were open, weren't they, to all the problems of this earth. Your eyes will be open, and uh, you'll, uh, uh, it says that your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see how Satan for Adam and Eve was trying to create another world, a fantasy world for Adam and Eve? When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, that it was good and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. And she gave it to her husband, who was with her. And he ate it. Now, we're going to skip down to verse 11, but in the middle there, Adam and Eve all of a sudden realized something. They realized that they were naked. They were naked the whole time, but they realized it the moment that they did what God told them they shouldn't do. And the consequences of that act happened immediately. They realized that they were naked, and all of a sudden they were in shame, and they were shameful about what they had done in their nakedness. So they went and they hid from God, just like our children do from us and like we do from God. And God showed up in the garden and he started looking for them. And finally, Adam called out to God that they were naked. Look at verse 11. He said, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman, (laughs) just like we men always do, we blame the women, don't we? The woman you put here with me, yeah, She was the one who gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. We love passing the buck, don't we, guys? Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And she said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Somebody else always gets blamed, don't they? In both cases, in both of these stories, the one from Matthew 4 and the one from Genesis 3, Satan is trying to create a fantasy world, a heaven here on earth, a place of perfection or false satisfaction, 
or happiness versus joy. Satan is trying to create that, and I want you to capture this. He does this all the time to all of us. We are all tempted by the want for heaven. But how do we manage that? You can take a look at your notes this morning. That's what we're going to discover this morning. How do we manage our natural desire to create heaven on earth? We're all faced with it. There's not any of you who are immune to any of these fantasies. There's just not. We're all human. We're all sinful. How do we manage that natural desire to have heaven here on earth? Number one, we're going to take a look at three things. Number one, we must make decisions every day, every day with an eternal perspective, not an earthly perspective. We must make decisions every day with an eternal perspective, not an earthly one. We all intrinsically want heaven. So don't feel guilty or shameful that you want something better for your life. Paul says in Philippians 3, he says, Join together in following the examples. This is in verse 17. Brothers and sisters, just as, you, uh, as we have modeled it for you, keep your eyes on those who live as well as we do. For I have told you often before, and now I tell you again with many tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But he says in verse 20, our citizenship is heaven. And he says we eagerly await a Christ from there. You see, we, we all want heaven. But just like Jesus realized when he was being tempted out in the desert, he realized that heaven cannot exist. It cannot exist while we're here on earth for the 70 or 80 or 90 years that we are placed on this earth. We don't get to experience heaven. It's our goal, but it's unattainable right now. It all has to do with our perspective. Our battle between reality and fantasy has to do first and foremost with how we see life the lenses by which we view things. A shoe manufacturer who decided to open up the uh, Congo market sent two salesmen to this undeveloped territory, the Congo. One salesman called back, or cabled back, prospects, prospects here nil, no one wears shoes. The other salesman reported enthusiastically, market potential here terrific, everybody is barefoot. We, we all have different perspectives on life, don't we? When it comes to our spiritual life, we either have an earthly perspective or we have a heavenly perspective. And if we're going to live in the here and now, if we're not going to be tempted or give in to that thing which creates heaven on earth, we first and foremost have got to have our perspective focused on what's eternal. For some of you, this may be old hat. For others, it's brand new. But our focus, if we are a christ follower should be on the eternal as opposed to the temporary. And if you're having trouble, it may be because your eyes are on those things which will one day be gone. Look at Paul's words to the church in Corinth. They struggled with this. They struggled with fantasy versus reality, probably like no other church in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, therefore we do not lose heart Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, and here's the point. We fix our eyes on not what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen 
is eternal. That choice that you make to indulge in some sort of fantasy, whatever that fantasy is, will be gone in a moment. It'll be gone tomorrow. But I want you to catch this. You have the choice. You have the choice to choose between reality or fantasy. It may be a choice for purity. It may be a choice to not sin. It might be a choice to delay desire. But we all have the choice between fantasy and reality. We just have to get our perspective on that which is eternal. Secondly, how do we manage our natural desire to create heaven on earth? We must secondly be fully present and living each day engaged and responsible for the life that God has given us. We must be fully present and living each day engaged and responsible for the life that God has given us. Listen, I want you to hear this. Rest is a good thing. Vacations are needed. A break from the worry and the cares and the struggles of daily life is something that is godly and biblical. But there's a difference. I want you to capture this. There's a difference between a break from the everyday life and a full-fledged escape into something that doesn't exist. When we escape into fantasy, what is going on in our real life is being unattended. And there are people and there are things that are counting on you that when you're engrossed in fantasy are being untouched. They're being left to chance. They're being left to whatever happens in the real world. Paul also spoke about this. He was tempted with this, the Apostle Paul, one of the early church fathers. He was tempted to leave this life and, and go to heaven. Take a look at Philippians 1, 22 through 25. He says, if I, am going, if I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I, I don't know, he says. Philippians 1, verse 23. I am torn between the two. I desire, capture that. I desire to depart and be with Christ. What he's saying there is I would, you know, I'd be better off dead. I'd be better off in heaven with Christ. I know where I'm going. I'd be better off with Christ. He says it's better by far. But look at verse 24. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. There are other things and people that are depending on you being in reality and not captured by fantasy. When you're in fantasy, something that's going on in real life is getting neglected. And you're potentially putting other people and other things in jeopardy when you get caught up in fantasy. But there must be a balance, right? We all get tired, we all want to break. But we can't do that until we get our priorities in order. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6, 33 through 34. He gives us the formula of how to deal with life in this passage, I believe. He says this, But first seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. And then he says, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. 
Jesus says that we can take our concern and our worry and our cares and those things that bother us, those things that drive us to fantasy in the first place. He says that we can come to him with those things. But what does he say that we have to do first? We have to have our priorities in order before we can do those things. If you're here today and worry or the stuff of life or escape from the noise around you has driven you to fantasy, I want you to hear this. Jesus wants to help you deal with all of that. But first, you got to have your priorities right. As a Christ follower, you have to have your priorities set on what is eternal. Thirdly, how do we manage our natural desire to create heaven on earth? We must spend our time investing in wealth that lasts forever. You know, the world tells us that there are a myriad of things to spend our wealth, both time, talent, and treasure on. It tells us that we should invest in our homes because those are our greatest investment, right? How'd that work out five years ago for all of us? The world tells us that we ought to invest in the stock market because one day our kids and their kids are going to need a nest egg to survive on. All fleeting. The world tells us to invest in a brand new vehicle because the newest one, the 2012, is faster, gets better gas mileage, looks better, it's safer. And while all those things the world tells us may be true to a certain extent and beneficial in some cases, all of that will be gone one day. The home that you've invested, your greatest investment, the world tells us, that home one day will be leveled for something bigger and better and newer, won't it? The investment that you give to your children, I want you to hear this. It will be spent every dime of it. Am I a Debbie Downer or what? Sorry. It's going to be spent. If it's not spent by you, it's going to be spent by your children. If it's not going to be spent by your children, it's going to be spent by your grandchildren. It will be gone. That brand new car that you're driving, you'll be drinking Coca-Cola out of it one day. All the car salesmen in here just left the church. Anyway, all of this stuff will be gone. We've got to invest in what is eternal. Jesus talks about this again in Matthew 6. He says this in verse 19, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. We're moths and vermin. I love that word, vermin. Don't you love that word? Anyway, moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where moth and vermin, that word again, do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then, then he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice that it's the treasure, or it's the heart that follows the treasure. Yeah, sometimes we can be passionate about a certain thing, and then we can start to give our treasure to that thing. But the Bible says that the heart or our passions will follow where we invest. Once again, I want you to hear this, church. You have a choice of where you put your time and your talent and your treasure, those things that God has given you. And my suggestion, my challenge to you today is to think about what's eternal, not the stuff that's going to be gone tomorrow. When we begin to get our minds around that, then all of a sudden we can understand what living in reality looks like. You know, there's something else. We work so hard, but what do we do? We work 
so that we can play, don't we? We work so hard that so we can escape from reality. We work for the weekend, as one great 1980 song put it. We work for vacations. We work for all of these things so that we can escape the reality of life. King Solomon, David's son, struggled with why we toil and why we work in Ecclesiastes. And I want you to hear this because I think some of you may connect with this. He says this in verse 24, and he's lamenting in, in uh, chapter 2, I mean Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He's lamenting and he asks the question, why in the world do I work? What am I doing here? Some of you will be asking that question by 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. What am I doing here? Solomon, King Solomon, the wisest man on earth, asked the same question. And here's his response. Speaking about working, he says, There's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. Verse 25 of Ecclesiastes 2, For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? The common denominator is that we do it for him. 26, For a person who is good in his eyes, he is given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner he is given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to the one who is good in God's sight. That too is vanity and striving after the wind. King Solomon here tells us that our work should be eternal. It should be for him. It should be for his glory. That everything that we do should be for God. And when we do that, we won't be so apt to escape from reality. What's all this mean to the life of the believer? Well, it means that we must strive after a Christian life that's abundant, as Jesus put it. We ought to strive after a journey with God, a faith journey that is abundant, and abundance means in many cases that it has a balance between growing in your faith and serving and exercising that faith. There's a balance between those two. I'll talk about this in a few weeks, but I think that so, far too many Christ followers, all they want to do is grow. All they want to do is, is learn the Bible and all the history behind the Bible, which is great. It's awesome. I'm in seminary right now. I'm learning some of this stuff along with you. I've been in seminary for what seems like about 10 years. But anyway, I'm learning this very slowly along with you. Some of you get so caught up in learning about God's Word, you never end up serving other people. Some of you, all you do is you say, hey, I don't care about that. All I want to do is serve. And both are dangerous. Are you with me this morning? Both of those are dangerous. The abundant life means that we both grow in our faith and we serve. And for some of you today, man, you're really good at that growing piece. But for you, having a healthy dose of reality means serving the body of Christ. And here in a few minutes, I'm going to give you the opportunity to sign up for an area that you can serve in. You know, it's interesting, in this whole idea of the battleground of truth versus fiction, and this week about reality versus fantasy, Last week, we talked about the fact that the battleground is for our minds. You know what it's for this week? Our desires. The battleground between fantasy and reality is for our desires. And for some of you today, you need to surrender your desires to Jesus Christ. Those things that you want that drive you so far that you would get so caught up in what's not real. 
and that you would so easily leave what is real is a battle for your desires. And for some of you today, you give up those desires to him. C.S. Lewis gave us the following insight about this. He said this, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. And he ends that illustration with this statement that I want to leave you with today. And he says this, we are far too easily pleased. That's it. The battleground between reality and fantasy. We lose it when we're far too easily pleased. When the trappings of what the world says that you can escape to exceeds the joy that you can have in Christ. Church, you can win this battle. Christian who's struggling right now with one of those things I mentioned or maybe a myriad of other things, you can win that battle if you find yourself being pleased with Christ. That's how you give up your desire to him. You find your pleasure in Christ. Father God, help us to find our pleasure in you. Father, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would help us, those of us who call ourselves followers of you. Father, I pray that you would help us to resist the trappings of the world, to go down a path of desire that leads to fantasy. And God, that we would be fully present where we are. And God, for some of us today in this room, it means that we give you, that we surrender our desire to you. Father God, it may be a desire for something physical. It may be a desire for something powerful. It may be a desire for material wealth. It may be a desire to win. And Father God, all those things, not, not any of them are necessarily wrong or bad or sinful. But Father, when it's out of control, we lose the battle with reality. Help us today to surrender our desires to you. Oh, you're a good God. And we can find pleasure in you. We can find joy in you that far exceeds anything that we can find on this earth. Father, my heart's convicted because there are times, there are moments, there are days, there are weeks when I find myself desiring things of this world before you. And I pray that you would help us to be on our knees seeking after you and seeking the joy and the pleasure that we can find in an abundant relationship with you. Father, you've done so many things good. There are so many reasons to give you all the glory. Help us to get back to that place and to be in that place where we're honoring you with our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.